Welcome to Modern Ancestral Mamas, a podcast for mamas created by mamas. We discuss ancestral food, cooking, feeding our families, and holistic living with the everyday modern mom. We are Corey and Christine, two mamas on a mission to nourish our families holistically while keeping it real in today's crazy world. Follow us on this adventure and enjoy the stories and information we share. In this episode, we will be discussing homemaking and finding joy in the kitchen. This episode is not meant to shame anybody or create guilt for those individuals who choose to or have to work. We are simply trying to bring awareness to the fact that homemaking is a vital part of creating a safe and nurturing home for our whole family. Anyone can be a homemaker, and in this episode, we discuss how you can apply these principles no matter what your lifestyle looks like. Hello, and welcome back to Modern Ancestral Mamas. This is Christine from Nourish the Littles, and I'm joined by my co-host, Corey, from For Nutrient's Sake. And today, we are interviewing Lisa Clark from Holistic Homemaking. And Lisa, we're going to start off by introducing Lisa uh, before we jump into the interview. But Lisa is a fellow Weston A. Price chapter leader here in Dallas. And um, she is an avid homemaker and a gardener. And we're super excited to have her on the show. We, I think each of us kind of met, Corey and Lisa met online and um, at the conference. And I met Lisa through being a chapter leader. Um, and this is, we're really excited to have her talk about homemaking and budgeting and finding joy in the kitchen. So without further ado, Lisa. Thank you for having welcome. me. All right. So I just want to share this really quickly. Um, the first time I came across your Instagram account, I don't even remember what the post was about, but you were like drinking raw milk in this picture and you had this beautiful dark green dress on and your hair is all lovely and flowy and <laughs> which you have this amazingly beautiful <laughs> red hair. And, um, and I was like, I'm so jealous of this girl who found um, this information so early in life because I didn't find it before I started having kids and I'm jealous that you did. (laughs) I actually, I have the, Corey, literally the exact same thought. Um, I had Lisa and her husband over and another chapter leader over and they are very much our junior Corey and I, they're younger than we are. And I I remember at the end of the night telling my husband, man, they're so lucky. They don't have kids yet. And they're already eating this way. And they're already following this lifestyle. Like, but it also made me so excited for the next generation of like Weston A. Price, um, uh, ancestral living individuals, like just meeting people who follow this lifestyle in their 20s gives me so much life and hope for the future. Yeah, me too. I just added you <laughs> on your age. Sorry. No, thank you. <laughs> That's 
sweet. I'm really, I am <laughs> blessed to have found this information early. I actually found it because my sisters are, uh, they're substantially older than I am. So they were 17 and 18 when I was born. So they're both in their 40s now with a bunch of kids. And um, so my middle sister, her eldest son was born when I was six, and he was diagnosed with autism as a toddler. And so it was in her search, going through the GAPS diet with her family and learning how to heal him, that I kind of got introduced to these ideas. So I was in my early teens when I was introduced to these ideas and learned firsthand from my sister's journey the importance of nutrition. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. She So... We'll backtrack a little bit that you kind of answered a little bit of our question. Do you want to ask the question real quick, Corey? Yeah. Okay. So we start every show with a little question. Um, and the one that we have today, because we're going to be trying to focus on finding the joy in homemaking. And so we wanted to ask, when did you learn to cook? And who taught you? Sure. So I would definitely say that my mom got me started with the basics But like I said, I took an interest in nutrition very early on, and I made it my own quickly. I tried a lot of new things. I got into the habit of trying a new vegetable every time I went to the grocery store. So mom would humor me, and I would go buy rutabagas or whatever, something she never cooked. So I did a lot of that. I was also a religious reader of crunchy mom blogs throughout my teenage years, so I learned a lot through those. It's so random to be a teenager and reading mom blogs. Well, also, there were not mom blogs when we were teenagers. <laughs> ah, yes, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a thing. <laughs> okay, Christine. We still had dial-up, by the way, when we were teenagers. <laughs> I didn't even get internet until we were like the last people on our block to get a DVD player and internet. I mean, I, yeah, I grew up without cable my whole life, essentially. <laughs> but I, I very much, sorry, we digress. This is what happens, Lisa, but I very much remember the whole like, <laughs> like <laughs> logging on. Yep. Yep. Logging on to the internet. Totally. And then AOL messenger. Okay. Uh, I swear that is where I learned to type. Forget Same. Mavis Beacon. It was AIM. Yep, yep. All right. 90s kids need to <laughs> calm down a little bit. <laughs> Christine, I know. When, when did you learn to cook and who taught you? Oh, man. Um, so I've told my Corey this. My Corey. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I've told Corey this before. But my mother, I love you, Mom, but you're a terrible cook. And I did not learn from her. Um, I would say my dad actually was more of the cook in the house. He was really the one who loved cooking. That being said, he also came from a like a really heavy processed food home. Um, so it was a mix of like he would cook homemade meals, but there was also, uh, I don't know, country crock butter and Miracle Whip mixed in there. And I mean, you know. But anyway, so I got more into it when I was in my 20s after I just got married and I lived in New York City and 
really was interested in the food scene because I think it's hard to be a New Yorker and not interested in the food scene. And so with that took more of an interest in cooking and hosting parties and like making food for the, for those parties and things like that. And then once I found nourishing traditions, it was like, Oh, Whoa, I still have a lot to learn. (laughs) Um, and kind of just evolved from there. Okay. Um, my turn. I think in general, I would say my mom taught me how to cook. Um, but at some point I decided that I really enjoyed it. And probably when I was a teenager and I just started cooking like so much. And thankfully my parents were very gracious and just allowed me to lock myself in the kitchen with an audiobook, and I would just cook for like the whole afternoon. Um, and then I wouldn't clean up after myself and I apologize to them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my mom pretty much taught me how to cook and then I just, you know, went off on my own. And the whole reason that I, um, chose the dorm that I lived in in college was because it was the one that had the kitchen in the lobby. (laughs) And then we, I moved off campus so I could have my own kitchen and I didn't have to share with anybody other than my roommates, but they didn't cook. So it's just me. (laughs) All right, let's move on. All right, Elisa, you have told us a little bit about yourself, but, um, can we pull a little more out of you? Who are you? What do you So do? I wear a lot of hats. Of course, I'm a wife and homemaker. I'm also a part-time receptionist. And then I have my small time kind of Instagram and blog thing where I talk about food, homemaking, and throw some philosophy in here and there. I also trained as a nutritional therapy practitioner and mostly I'm just using that to inform my own cooking and homemaking and informs some of my Instagram posts and blog posts. Okay, so for people who are kind of new to the term, maybe, um, what does homemaking mean? And can you share a little bit about what that means, maybe to you personally or in general? Um, and why it's important. Sure. So being sheltered and nourished are fundamental to life. Those are the human's most basic needs to be sheltered and nourished and loved by other humans. And so you need a home where your needs are met. So to me, homemaking is being that person who dedicates themselves to fulfilling those needs for self, family, and any guests that you entertain. So it's really a homemaker is the person who makes a house into a functional home. That's, that's really cool. So when we, we interviewed a few episodes back, um, Katie Crosby from Thriving Littles, and she talked about respectful parenting. And one of the things that she brought up was this, the importance of safety and how for kids, especially feeling safety in their home and in their environment is what help helps calm their nervous system and their emotions. And it's just, it's so important. And 
sometimes I wonder if it gets overlooked, um, this idea of like making your house a home and really creating that nurturing environment. Uh, yeah, I don't know, just a thought that I had. How do you actually, if I can ask real quick, how would you say that you make your house a home? Like what, what are some, uh, what are some things that you do to like nurture your space? Sure. So it's a good question. I like that question. I have always kind of thought of things through the lens of nutrition. So that's the first thing that comes to mind is being deliberate in how I put meals together. And right now, the only person I'm feeding other than myself is my husband. And so I think a lot about his specific needs and tailor our meals largely to that. So he thrives on a lot of seafood. Um, having my nutritional therapy education, I can see whatever symptoms he's presenting and tailor our meals accordingly and say like, okay, he needs some beets, his liver needs help or whatever. And so just being able to put that level of thought, I know not everyone has that education in nutrition, but putting that level of thought into specifically meeting the needs of your people. Um, and that also goes for just knowing what they like and making sure to rotate that through. I like to, at least once a week, make some sort of treat so that it's not all just the utilitarian getting meals on the table, but there's something delightful in the kitchen for family members and guests to enjoy. Apart from that, just putting personal touches throughout the house, curating things that we love, decorating with things that make us feel cozy. We keep a lot of sheepskins around and things like that. So just infusing it kind of with our family's personal style and culture is a big one for me. That sounds lovely. Um, I know. I, I want to go sit in a chair with a sheepskin. Yeah, you can come over sometime oh, soon, though. <laughs> yeah. It feels like it might be hot. It cools down, right? <laughs> we bring out more in the winter for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So there is a stigma around the idea of homemaking. Um, I know, like, I pulled up a piece of mail. I think it was maybe, like, taxes or something. And it said my husband's name and his profession. And then it said my name and homemaker. And I was like, I don't, I self-identify as a homemaker. Um, but that didn't feel good for some reason. Like, and I think it was just in the moment of like seeing it as an official thing on a document for some reason felt weird. Um, and then I was like, Corey, you're being ridiculous. Like, this is what you want. And this is the life that you're creating and you want it to be like this. Um, but it's this stigma, you know, this uh, cultural stigma of being a homemaker, um, especially for like the stay at home mom crowd. And I think it is changing. Hopefully it's changing. Um, but, you know, like 
especially for my mom's generation, like it was not cool to be the stay at home mom. And I think it's maybe wearing off a little bit, but um, can you maybe help us think through like how to um, navigate that and navigate the negative um, connotations and the conversations that might come up about that? Like when you, you're at a party or something and said, somebody says, oh, you know, what do you do? What, what is your so response? My first response usually is that I'm a homemaker, but I know what you're talking about because sometimes I catch myself leading with, I'm a part-time receptionist because, <laughs> and that is so completely lame compared to what I do at home, which makes it hilarious. But it's true. You feel like your value in society is the value which you contribute to the economy in terms of GDP, basically. And so I know that feeling with the stigma that you have. And I don't know, I think the stigma comes partially from like, okay, if I'm not making money, I'm not doing anything. Um, and the assumption that maybe you're just sitting around at home. But that's really only true for the person who chooses to just sit at home. You know, homemaker is an action word. You're making a home. And so we really are capable of applying every ounce of our potential and intellect and energy towards making things happen at home. So it doesn't have to be you know, what people consider to be this really humble, you know, lowly position, it, you really can't accomplish a lot. But yeah, I, I mean, I know what you're saying about the stigma, but it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> yeah, I, so we, you know, in the mail, you get your university's magazine or whatever, okay. And I just got one in the mail this past week. And I realized I didn't, I, I should have said something to you about this, Corey, but I flipped open to read a few articles and one of the articles happened to be about women and like their successes in life. And that was when I had the realization that it's everywhere. We're saturated with it. I mean, right here in front of me is an article about how successful these women are outside of the home, whether that's because of organizations they've created, money they've made, their CEOs, like you name it. There was not a single woman featured that was, that was like, I nurture my family. I stay at home with my kids. I, you know, I cook for them. I, whatever it is, like that is not something in society that we, I don't want to say glorify, but that's not, that is not a position that's looked up to in society. Instead, and, and I don't want to, I do not want to bash on these CEO women. I mean, like, good for you. You know, that's, that's absolutely amazing. It's so great that women have the opportunity, the opportunity to do either or. But I also think that in the rush to, for women to be independent and successful, we have forgotten a little bit that within our very being, we are nurturers. I mean, that's what we are as women. No, you're right. We got so caught up in um, wanting to be competitive and proving what we're capable of that we forgot about 
the roles that in a lot of ways only we are capable of by nurturing our family. And, you know, we have a very special capability of doing that. And to prove that we were capable of something else, we just sort of ditched that and stopped seeing it as an accomplishment in itself. Yeah, so um, I definitely think that um, in general, I'm an, I call myself like an egalitarian. Like I think I don't even um, put aside the word feminist because I think the word feminist in its original context means that men and women are equal. Um, however, I think that a lot has come out of the feminist movement that is not actually helpful to women or men or families. Um, and I think that telling women that the only way that they're contributing to society is to go get a job and work nine to five and send your children to public school and feed them all this processed food that you haven't actually spent more than 10 minutes microwaving is really just a shame. Mm -hmm. It does do a disservice to the entire family. Yeah. And eventually society as a whole. Well, for sure, because it just trickles down and the children that were raised in those homes then go on to, you know, do whatever they're doing and not that they aren't wonderful people. Um, but children thrive with having that safety and a stay at home parent. I'm not saying it has to be the mother um, is uniquely able to provide that safety for children. And again, it doesn't have to be a stay-at-home parent or a full-time stay-at-home parent, but um, somebody that takes on the role of homemaking, even if you're not full-time at home, um, is going to benefit that family or even just the individual, really. Okay. I guess that kind of flows us into what we were going to say next. Because um, my next question was... Um, how can people who work full-time or, or part-time also consider themselves homemakers and sure. be homemakers? So it's definitely going to be harder if you're working full-time because you get home from working all those hours and chances are you're going to be really tired. And so I think as a full-time person in the workforce, you would need to be extremely intentional with your time and energy management. But that doesn't mean it can't be done. Like as long as the home is being made a home, I think you can call yourself a homemaker. If the people are fed and nourished, the needs are met, everyone feels safe and the dynamic is working. I think it's working. Especially when a family needs that income, you know, we're living in a day and age where double income 
is a hard thing to live without. People make some really serious sacrifices to stay at home. So if you really need that income, that can be even considered part of being a homemaker because, well, you need it to maintain the home, period. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm thinking of, you know, individuals who are working maybe two jobs or sometimes three jobs just to keep food on the table and a house over their family's head. Um, so we wanted to touch a little bit on budgeting just because I know that you have some really interesting thoughts on how you personally stay within budget. And, you know, this is a hot topic right now with everything that's going on with gas prices and inflation. And, um, why don't you talk to us a little bit about how do you, if you budget, how do you do it? Or if you have any tips and tricks, what what can you okay. share with so us? So I track our grocery expenses and do things to pinch pennies here and there, but I don't actually budget. I would say the biggest thing that I do to save money on groceries is give myself the freedom to buy in bulk. I'm not going to you know, say, well, I only have $25 left on my budget this month. So I'm going to pass up this incredible deal on, you know, a year's supply of wheat or oil, for example. So I really kind of go with the flow and just track my expenses. And every week I total up my grocery expenses and have a running average. So over the last six months, I've consistently averaged just under $150 a week for my husband and I. So that would be just over $10 per person per day. And we drink a ridiculous amount of raw milk. We eat a lot of nutrient-dense food. So I would say we're doing pretty good in that category. And the number one thing that we do to maintain that is buying in bulk. So sometimes I'll have a week where I spend like $600 on food. But then I'll have weeks also where I spend 15 or $20 on food because everything that I need pretty much is already at home. So that is a big one at our house. We also have a pretty holistic view of our budget categories. We're kind of unconventional. So we view our grocery budget also as our medical budget and health insurance. Um, we also kind of largely view it as our entertainment budget. We really enjoy preparing our foods and we don't spend a whole lot of money on just discretional entertainment type stuff. Trying to think of other tips for spending less. I really don't like to focus on less when it comes to food. You know, you got to eat. So I just focus on where to allocate my resources to. So I don't just, you know, buy anything in bulk. I focus primarily on nutrient-dense food. Um, We buy meat from a farmer that has good prices locally. We buy grain in 50-pound bags and just store it at the house. So a lot of bulk buying. 
So like, what are some of the other things that you're buying in bulk? So we do bulk buy our milk. I think we're going to talk about that in a little bit. As far as other dry goods, a couple years ago, I bought 50 pounds of grass-fed beef tallow that we're still working through. We like hitting discount grocery stores and seeing what kind of things they have there. Uh, Three years ago, we bought a bunch of organic extra virgin olive oil for 99 cents a bottle. We got a big case of that and we are on the last bottle now. So anything that's shelf stable that we find that's for a really good deal, we'll buy a lot of it. We've done canned salmon before as well. We got several flats of canned salmon that lasted us well over a year. It was wild caught, really good stuff. And it was really cheap. I think it was three cans for a dollar. Where do you, I'm so, yeah. Sorry, Corey. I saw that you were probably going to ask. Okay. I have like (laughs) questions now. (laughs) Okay. Let's start with. Where do you keep in all a of this? Spare bedroom. Our pantry is an entire spare bedroom. <laughs> okay, got it. And yeah, because like things like grains, for example, how long do they stay good for? And like in my head, I'm thinking, you know, we're in Texas. We don't have cellars where it's cool. So <laughs> how do you sure. manage that? So grains are pretty easy to store. We did get grain for long-term storage. I think you don't have to do anything too special outside of like a bucket if you're just going to do grain that you're going to use within a year. We bought several hundred pounds of grain a while back for the purpose of storing some long-term. And what we did is we bought mylar bags and oxygen absorbers and parceled it out into those. So in mylar bags with oxygen absorbers, it can last indefinitely. What's a mylar bag? Yes. Is that your it's it? a specific type of plastic bag. I'm going to be so bad at explaining this, but it's basically, it's these bags that... You can put the contents in and then throw the oxygen absorber in and then you actually seal it with a hair straightening iron. And so it seals perfectly. The oxygen absorber sucks it down really tight and it, it's a really good way to store dry goods. So it's kind of like a space saver for clothes. Like that's <laughs> Almost. Have, you know, like, you know, the clothes bags that I don't know, people would like suction all of the air out and then their clothes is super flat yeah those used to be like the the thing on infomercials yeah totally i mean that's (laughs) what i'm picturing in my head somewhat similar (laughs) okay Okay. (laughs) i like can see the infomercial like perfectly with the person with the yeah (laughs) (laughs) totally I was definitely one of those idiots. Um, so, okay. Okay. So that's how you save grain. And then I'm guessing you have like a deep freezer for. I do. I have stuff. a small deep freezer. A small yeah. deep freezer. Oh, we haven't pulled the trigger on like buying a whole cow yet. So by buying okay. meats in bulk, okay. it's probably not as bulk as you think based on the quantities I gave you on my other bulk buys. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then, 
So we know that you love gardening. How much would you say, how much of your food comes directly from your garden? Because like, I know that, okay, side note, I am attempting to garden. It's not going so hot. I mean, because it is so hot, but also, yeah. Uh, But also I haven't gotten to the point where my garden feeds my family. Granted, we are five people, but I, you know, I'm I'm not there yet. Sure. Don't feel bad because you and I are living under the same oppressive heat and a lot of my garden dies this time of year. And that's just, I think, to be expected. The late July, August time of year here, everything just dries up and dies. And so that's, don't, don't beat yourself up over that. But <laughs> that's, I can't believe I forgot to mention that earlier when you were asking what helps me save money because the gardening is a pretty big piece. Like in the spring, we are completely overrun by lettuce and greens. Um, I don't like saving partial seed packets. So when I plant, I just go crazy and plant all the seeds and end up with way too much coming out of the garden sometimes. (laughs) That's, um, it's something that we enjoy doing. So I guess that's the other part of our entertainment budget too, is it contributes to our food supply. And then it also kind of keeps us busy We really enjoy doing it. As far as how much is coming out of the garden, contributing to our groceries at any given time, like I said, in the spring, it's all greens. Right now, it's all cherry tomatoes and a few peppers and eggplants, but not a whole lot of greens. A lot of basil. Yep. The basil is the one thing that is alive. It's doing quite well at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Do you let your flower? I know. I mean, I am like, okay, what else can I put (laughs) pesto on? (laughs) Oh yeah, you're right. Actually, that's how they do it in Italy in my chewing the fat book. But, um, do you just let your flowers, your greens, your plants flower and then drop the seeds so that next year they come up again? Or are you removing all of that and saving the seeds. How do you manage I would love that? to get into seed saving sometime, but haven't really got into it. So anything that has flowered and dropped seeds, I'm grateful for when they come up the next year, but it's usually because I gave up on that plant and just let it do its thing. <laughs> I do try to snip off my basil flowers to get it to keep producing. Okay, got it. We wanted to move on to talk a little bit about how do we manage the rising cost of food prices? Um, So for example, even I think we're seeing it everywhere all over the nation. But for myself, when I first moved to Texas, I was paying, I think it was either seven or $8 a gallon per, per gallon for raw milk. Then it went up to $9 and now we're at $10 a gallon. And you know, we both purchased from the same raw milk farmer and you have a really great secret. I don't know if it's a secret, but it's just not something that he shares or is well known. Let's just say, um, unless you go to the farm and you, you know, you see for yourself, but 
go ahead and tell us what you do for raw milk and like, how do you, yeah. How do you navigate rising? Sure. So when our poor farmer, um, he got hit really hard by the rising prices, you know, before he had to raise his prices on us. And so I really feel for him, some of his inputs increased in price by a hundred percent. So, and all of our farmers are reporting that to inputs, feed, hay, equipment, uh, parts have either skyrocketed in price or become unavailable or very hard to find. So with that being said, our farmer has a deal where you can bulk buy milk. So rather than buying bottled milk, you can bring buckets or totes. And it has to be during a certain time window. He schedules it out to where there's going to be an employee at the barn that will meet you and fill up your jugs with milk. So that way he doesn't have to supply the bottles. So you're cutting that cost out. And he also already offered a discount price for buying five gallons or more period. And when he raised his prices, it was a serious discussion between my husband and I. We discussed how much milk we would be able to continue to buy, whether would be we whether we would be able to continue consuming the same amount because we buy about 12 gallons every other week. So it's a major source of nutrition for us, to say the least. Sorry, Corey's face was a shock. I know. A lot of people look at us that way when we tell them how much milk we drink, but it is one of the nutrient-dense foods that we lean pretty heavily on. So it's like with breakfast, we each probably drink a quart of milk, and then we drink more with lunch, and then we drink more before bed. So we drink a lot of milk around here. And so we we had a pretty serious discussion when he raised his prices, because we're already driving an hour to get out there and buy the milk, and gas prices are going up. And so we're like, okay, so what are we going to do? And so that was when we decided to stop going for convenience and getting the bottled milk and start being more intentional and scheduling our trips out there so that we would show up during bulk pickup time and just have our two big jugs filled. So we have like these six gallon jugs and we throw those guys in a cooler and bring them out there and then just fill glass jars at home with them. Do do they take up a lot of space in the refrigerator? Like are they... Um, they can but we have an extra refrigerator for that so yeah we use our backup fridge for milk right yeah yeah yeah. okay yeah yeah Yeah, I mean Ryan and I had this conversation because we pay six dollars for a half gallon so twelve dollars for a gallon and Yep, that's what I was paying in Chicago. Yeah. Um, and Actually, I was paying $12 for a half gallon. My family could go through um, probably six half gallons or more a week. But um, we had this conversation where Ryan was like, okay, either we have to stop buying this much or... We have to start <laughs> drinking regular peasant people milk. <laughs> so, anyway, I decided to buy four milk or four half gallons of 
two gallons a week. Right. I, I wouldn't be able to switch to that regular milk. I was diagnosed lactose intolerant as a kid and store-bought like pasteurized milk doesn't agree with me at all. I still can't handle it unless it's like fermented like cheese. But other than that, I can only do raw milk. Yeah. I'm so me and at least one of my kids have the same situation. And I was never diagnosed as lactose intolerant. It's just that if I drink pasteurized milk, I feel terrible. Yeah. Okay, so we you touched a little bit before on buying nutrient-dense food in bulk. What do you, like, would you go to Costco, for example? What are some places that you sure. buy Sure, so I mentioned discount grocery stores. So different areas will have their place. Wait a minute. I have never been in one of these. Like, what... What is this? Wait, what is what? So it's like a dings and dents kind of store where they have maybe like overstocked or deformed packaging or slightly damaged goods, stuff like that. These places are kind of like a diamond mine where you have to dig through a lot of not so great stuff, but you will find some amazing things if you look. So, like, what's the name of the one? So, there's one. Go to, for example. I think it's over in Haltom City, called Town Talk. So, we have found cheese there. They actually have really great cheese deals. I've found raw cheeses there before. I think I found raw sheep's cheese there once and bought a bunch of that. So we'll go over there and stock up on cheese. We've found organic dried figs there. I think we bought them out of those sometime last year. We're still eating those. So you just find things from time to time. So every area is going to have something different. Like it's not a Right. They're usually one-off stores. Oh, yeah. I thought, same. I thought that you were going to mention. I wish. That would be a great resource. Um, That's that's one thing is so many people, they try to get into eating healthy and they're like, man, I can't shop at Costco anymore, maybe. Or, you know, because they're like big box stores and there's kind of a negative connotation getting picked up with those. But I do consider them to be a great resource. They have economies of scale going for them and excellent logistical systems. And so you're able to get good things cheap. So we don't have a Costco membership, but I will say that they have some really great things there. Uh, Like I've heard they have sprouted oats. I almost want to get the membership just for that. (laughs) They do. Yeah. They also have very gold. Yeah. They have butter in bulk. I mean, Ah uh, yes. Um they honestly they mm-hmm. really do have some good options. Um as much as like you said I I don't like the big box stores sometimes but when we're talking about nutrient density and fam mm-hmm. buying for families and buying in bulk sometimes we have to do that. But there's another one that you guys use. Uh, Can you so show that one? There's a couple. So which which one are you getting at? <laughs> 
It is Azure, yes. So Azure Standard's pretty great. They do uh, primarily organic and healthy type foods. That's kind of their specialty is making healthy food affordable. And so we get most of our grains from them. So organic wheat, that's where we bought our several hundred pounds from a couple years ago. So we like them for that. I also get a few other odds and ends there. I love Dandy Blend. I get that there and Trace Minerals Electrolytes. So there's a few specific items that I get there. I know Corey likes that one. Yeah. Yeah, we started using Azure about a year ago when they first came to the East Coast. It's been... There's, there's a lot of things like I've gotten a five pound bucket of peanut butter that lasted us probably six or seven months. Um, we bought the 50 pound bag of oats. The other thing you can do with that, that I have done once or twice is go, go in with people because if you don't want to have that much at your house, but you want to get the discount, you just, you know, find somebody in your area and say, hey, um, I want oatmeal. Do you want some oatmeal? <laughs> um, let's go in on this 50 pound bag. You can get 25. I can get 25. Or, you know, if you have more people, five people, yeah. break it down and everybody gets a little bit, but you get the um, cost saving benefits and you're going to put it into a plastic um, tub anyway so you're not going to leave it in the bag that it comes in right that's a great strategy yeah I didn't think about that Um, I've started putting stuff in my shopping cart to place an order from them for the first time and I saw that they had like an eight pound case of organic cherries and I was just like oh Um, but then cherries are those, I'm not exactly sure how to store cherries. You could freeze Um, them. I thought about freezing them, but then the pit would still be in them. You'd have to pit them first. So I don't know how to cleanly pit a cherry. Get a cherry pitter. It's like a, you like, I'm making this. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm sure if I just, Yeah. Search all the it. people who are listening. It's not helpful yeah. for me to make this motion. <laughs> you squeeze it. That's um, what I'm trying to say. Yeah. 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 But that's a good idea to share with someone because if I didn't want to go through the hassle of saving, of like freezing the fruit, then I could just split it with someone. <laughs> like Lisa. <laughs> Although four pounds of cherries is still a lot. I mean, not for my family, but. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Cher- we only eat cherries. Like what? Is it like mm-hmm. a few weeks I just year bought a big bag of them last week, expecting them to last a while. And I think it was two and a half pounds. I think I ate them within like two days. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, that's how I feel about cherries as well. Like when they come out, it's I'm like, so oh, good. <laughs> gorge on cherries. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Oh, no. Oh, no. We still have so much to talk about. Okay, go, Corey. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, I'm worried about running out of time. Um, 
Lisa, can you share with us how you think as women or men, we can serve our families sure. through the kitchen? So this is something that we touched on earlier when we talked about how kind of evading the kitchen hurt families and society at large. So it's such a beneficial thing to have an entire human being, a whole adult human dedicated to keeping the family safe and nourished and comfortable. And so there's really no better way to serve the family. You know, it's not just cooking meals. It's that whole family culture of having the meals consistently there, having them together and creating that environment where a family can thrive. I really think that society is only as healthy as the families that it's made of. So if every single family had a person that was intentional with that, you don't have to be perfect, but if there was just that much intention going into the families in our communities, I think it would make a huge impact on how society runs and how people are doing. Okay, so for lots of people, women and men, um, working in the kitchen, making meals, cooking, planning meals, shopping for meals, um, doesn't come naturally, whether that's because, you know, they grew up in a home where that didn't happen um, or they weren't ever invited into the kitchen to learn from people, what have you. Um, but for these people, it's a huge struggle to feel comfortable in the kitchen. Um, they just feel like stuck, like they don't know how to do any of it. It's overwhelming. Um, they have nowhere, they have no idea where to start. I mean, regardless of anything being even nutritionally there, it's just cooking a meal from scratch is unthinkable mm -hmm. to a lot of people, probably most adults mm -hmm. in the United States. Um, so how can these people move from that sort of paralyzed state into finding joy in the kitchen in the kitchen and cooking and sure. preparing I think meals. the first step would be to get a little bit of confidence, get a repertoire of skills, which you know how to do, even if that's just, okay, how do I roast chicken breasts? And then while those are in the oven, cook some rice and make a salad, you know? So I would say, get a very basic repertoire. If you have a friend who knows how to cook or consistently cooks for their family, I would reach out to that friend and say like, hey, can I come over and just have you show me how to cook sometime? Or do you want to come over and show me some things? You know, you might be surprised at how much, how much a friend would be happy to do that with you and just cook together. And that'll take a lot of the fear away and the uneasiness away potentially. You know, I, yeah, I don't think anyone is completely immune to those feelings. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I totally burn out sometimes. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and this is my thing, and I totally burn out. <laughs> so whenever that happens, I always just scale way back. It usually starts with me taking on more than I can chew. Um, but just scale way back to very basic meals with slight variations, like rotating a few basic meats, uh, you know, like chicken, beef, fish, you know, uh, then like some staple, staple starches, like rice or baked potatoes, mashed potatoes, uh, roasted, you know, squashes, things like that. And then, you know, maybe some seasonable vegetables for color, which sometimes I even, if I'm feeling super burned out, leave off the vegetables. So, <laughs> and just get the kind of foods on the table that will fill us up and nourish us. You can add some slight variations if you're feeling up to it by maybe changing up the sauce or the salad dressing. But if you just build that really basic repertoire of getting a balance of a meat and a carb and maybe some color on the plate, you're going to have the ball rolling. I think that'll meet the family's needs without the overwhelm and without having to think deep into the nutrition of things too. I heard this tip a couple of years ago and it just blew my mind for whatever reason. Um, but it's, the basic idea that a side dish can be as simple as um, sauerkraut, avocado with like olive oil, um, you know, sliced fruit, fruit side dishes, yeah. raw carrots. Like that, you don't have to make cook. You don't have to, you know, actually cook the entire meal. You can serve cheese on the side, pickles on the side. Like these are all things that are, you don't have to cook. You can slice up tomatoes. Like one of my favorite things is a really beautiful summer, summer tomato. So with good. Salt and pepper. That's it. Right. It's so good. Yeah. And that's a side dish. So then just. Grill some hamburgers and yeah, you're done. throw a head of lettuce on the table, slice up a tomato and an onion, and you're good. <laughs> All right. Um, I think we have kind of covered this, but I know you have some thoughts on this, and I want to let you answer it. Okay. So, why do you think spending time in the kitchen is so? Because important? food is really important. It's so meaningful. Food is our primary connection to the earth, which is our source of life. So being connected and involved in that can make a difference, environmentally speaking, with the type of farmers and businesses we support. Uh, but even if you're not at that level where you're diving into that part of things, even just being connected with it ensures quality. So we're not relying on convenience foods and fast food with suspect ingredients. Also, eating together nourishes the connections between the people in your home and creates that community within the home where everyone feels safe and nourished. And of course, bodies have concrete nutritional needs. Either our family is getting the nutrients that their bodies need to perform their functions or they're not. 
So having that one homemaker spending time in the kitchen can make a distinct and profound difference in the life of every person in the home. And that is a really high privilege. There's a lot of people working jobs that they find meaningless and, you know, maybe making these accomplishments outside the home, but they're kind of wishing, well, I wish I, you know, I crave being able to impact a person deeply in their life with my work. And we have the privilege of being able to do that for multiple people, everyone in our home. Do you have anything to add, Christine? No, I was, I was just pausing and thinking. Um, I completely agree that we need to bring back the importance of being in the kitchen and nourishing our families. And, and actually, I, I mean, I, I think that this idea of just having a meal around the table, even if the meal is you know, something that you picked up at a restaurant or you know, something that uh, you threw together in two seconds, I, I actually, in some instances, I'm, I don't think that the food itself matters so much as the act of being around the table, mm -hmm. the, that community feeling, um, because every once in a while, we're going to have that less than perfect meal. I mean, we are humans. We are imperfect. It's going to happen. Um, so maybe not stressing so much about every single food item on the plate and focusing more on the connection and the relationships. Okay, Lisa, um, can you tell everybody? Sure. Where they can find so you? you can find me on Instagram at holistic underscore homemaking. And I also have a little blog where I will occasionally post recipes or whatever things I happen to be thinking about. And then for paid subscribers, I also post my meal plan at the beginning of every week. So some people find that helpful just to get some inspiration and see, you know, what does a nutrient dense meal plan in a very real household look like? So I do that. You can find that at holistichomemaker.substack.com. So the Instagram's holistic homemaking and the blog is holistic homemaker. But that's where you can find me. And you have um, like a ebook. Uh, yeah, yeah. I wrote a little ebook last year that actually is started as a school project when I was in training for nutritional therapy, and we had to write on healthy eating on a budget. So I wrote this little ebook called "Creating a Nutrient Dense Kitchen Within Your Resources," and you can find that. Uh, on the link tree in my bio, it's under free ebook and newsletter sign up. And can you tell tell us what 
area of the DFW. Yes, I'm the leader for Keller, South Lake, West Lake, and Roanoke. All right, peeps, did you hear that? She's the person you contact if <laughs> yes. you are in any of those areas. How many chapters are in Dallas? Not enough, considering how yeah, big You know, DFW we is. all go to the same farmers for the most part, but we're all too far away from each other to hang out. <laughs> I don't, I mean. Yeah, I, it's... Okay, so real quick, when I lived in Chicago, anytime I saw something that said three miles, I was like, oh, that's so far away. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm going three miles. And then I moved to Texas and the average location oh, is yeah. like 25 miles away. <laughs> like oh yeah, we'll drive like miles, 40 nothing. miles to go pick something up from a farm or whatever. <laughs> yeah, just to give people a sense for like how far everything yeah, so the dfw metroplex is like 80 I'm miles nice. across of straight dense city and so we all end up driving to the same remote places where the farms are <laughs> outside of the metroplex but it's big all right that's what texas is known for yeah <laughs> <laughs> well lisa um Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate and you putting up with my rambling. I hope I made sense. <laughs> I think no, it, was it was great. great. Yeah. yeah. Really appreciate fun. it. All right. Closing out the show. Um, let's put up. If anybody likes this, what we're doing. <laughs> Review us on Instagram. Um, nope. Review us on Don't iTunes. Review us on Instagram. No. <laughs> <laughs> review us on iTunes. Um, follow on Instagram. The show has its own handle, and then Christine and I have our own handles. Um, and yeah, so if you put, um, you know, like the stars on iTunes and the reviews on iTunes, it helps other people see the show. So. Um, it, it, there's like a ranking system and algorithms and whatever, but by reviewing shows that you like, um, and giving it, you know, stars, then it helps it rank on that algorithm scheme. And also it would be awesome if you wanted to share the show, like on Instagram or Facebook or something. Or just text it over to your buddy and say, this is great. You should listen to it. <laughs> you know, no pressure or anything. Um, we we read comments and we love DMs and we get a lot of them. And let me tell you. Thanks for Corey listening to Modern Ancestral Mamas. Check out the show notes for the resources. Oh gosh, you can so find cool. Christine on Instagram at so NourishTheLittles and online at NourishTheLittles.com. I try you can find really Corey on Instagram to, um, at for nutrients sake and online at for nutrients Follow us on well, Instagram guys, I think that's all we got at Modern today. Ancestral Thank Mamas. You so much.
The information contained in this show is for informational purposes only. It should not be intended as medical advice and should not replace your relationship with your healthcare practitioner.